Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the JohnnyTShirt.com Inside Carolina podcast. Gentlemen, I, I cannot remember the last time the three of us got together. It has been quite a while, but we are here today because it is football season, almost. A lot of folks coming off vacation, a lot of folks getting ready to really dig into the college football season. I'll be on vacation next week, so I'm a little late to that party. Um, but Greg, let's jump right in why this is the good time to do this podcast, because while I'll be on vacation, I know next week is pretty much the unofficial, if not the official kickoff to ACC football. Tell us what you'll be doing in Charlotte. Yeah, Tommy, that's that's the fun thing about this month because you get through June and you have a little bit of baseball, then you have some downtime, then you have the fourth, you have the holiday week, uh, and then right around the corner is the start of football. And as you mentioned, starting next Tuesday in Charlotte is the ACC kickoff, and they'll have all kinds of celebratory things, festivities on Tuesday for the the coaches and the players coming in. And then things really kind of get underway next Wednesday, which is when the Atlantic Division uh, gets together with the media for all-day interviews for a variety of different outlets and mediums. And then the Coastal Division, which, of course, is where North Carolina is, uh, that takes place on on Thursday. And then uh, after that, on Friday, uh, the Triangle Pigskin Preview, um, that's in, in Cary, that's always a big event. So we've got a, a full slate of media starting next week. And then you know, shortly thereafter, as we as we approach August 1st, that's when training camp ramps up. And that's when, when things really get serious. Yeah, folks have been wanting it to get here. It, it is finally here. ACC kickoff over there in Charlotte. So it's a good time to get a lot of information about expectations, especially and. Of course, uh, the media preseason teams will come out. The media preseason polls will come up. And we'll dig into that a little bit in this podcast. But, Buck, I wanted to bring you in because uh, last time we really talked at length, we were talking about the hire of Mac Brown. And I'm going to toot our horns again. We were calling for Mac Brown as far back as maybe September, October, definitely last year. But now it's been – seven-plus months, eight months since Brown has been hired. Um, just from your perspective, you followed this stuff forever inside Carolina and otherwise is being involved in, in keeping up with Carolina football. But what's different this summer? I, I mean, it just seems a little different leading into this season where, in, in reality, Carolina's a five-win over the past two year, two years team. But it seems different this year. It's it's. To me, it's 100% Mac Brown. Would you agree? I would say, uh, yeah, I would agree with that, Tommy. And the thing about Mac Brown is that he brings so much. I mean, uh, he's my age. So I understand, you know, what the requirements are to, you know, really get fired up about anything. But Mac Brown has a ton of energy. Um and he has it at 67 years old. He's just a very energetic guy. We, we 
laugh about it and talk about it some. Tommy, you were around in the days when uh, Mac Brown had his one in 10 years at UNC, and he would come on the TV show on uh, Sunday morning after the game or whatever. And uh, the way he would talk and present himself, you would think they were a 10 and one team instead of a one in 10 team. Uh, so he, his just has a tremendous amount of energy. I think that, uh, permeates from the top down. Uh, I think that, uh, the staff, uh, you know, takes its cues off of max energy. And, you know, I think the team probably takes their cues off of the, the Mac Brown's energy and, uh, how, how that filters down through the other staff members. It's just a different environment um i i really don't think you know i i'm the last one really to ever talk bad about a previous regime but i, I just don't think that uh larry fedora ever saw pr um you know and you know uh, generating excitement creating excitement uh displaying a lot of energy as part of his duties um, and Mac Brown clearly does. So, uh, especially with, uh, I think we've talked about this in the past. Uh, we're all kind of excited about the hires he's made, uh, the work that Jason Staples has done on his video analysis with uh, Phil Longo's offense, and Jay Bateman's defense, the, the, that lends to excitement. And then of course, recruiting is, is kind of off the charts right now. So, all of that is just is, uh, you know, momentum and increasing the momentum and, um, you know, that that's all great to see, but we should bear in mind that probably Florida state felt the same way going into the preseason of 2018 and that didn't work out well. So, uh, it, it's good to, you know, keep your expectations within reason. But there's definitely a different level of excitement around the program now that we haven't seen in actually several years. Anybody that has listened to this podcast since I've been on it, which kind of dates back to the beginning, knows that that brevity is not my specialty. But I think I think we can sum this up pretty well in just saying that Mac Brown won the offseason. And we talked when we were together back in December after he was first hired there at the end of November, he won that press conference. And each step along the way, whether it be recruiting, whether it be press conferences, whether it be uh, booster meetings, interviews on the radio, on TV, uh, he's done exactly what he needed to do to provide hope, to provide inspiration, to provide a path forward. Um, because, I mean, give Larry Fedora a lot of credit. He got this program to the ACC championship game in 15. They probably should have been there in 16. And then the, the wheels came off. Um, and I, I think the fan base especially just kind of sunk down thinking, man, we thought we were almost there and then you know, kind of had the rug pulled out from underneath us. Mac has provided that that hope. Um, now we're getting into the situation where the season's right around the corner. So you can kind of tuck away the, the off-season part and really focus in on what's to come. And that that's where Mac's next challenge is. 
because if this season doesn't end up being some breakthrough season, which I think it's unfair to expect that, to be honest. Uh, but at that point in time, if this team only goes five and seven, six and six, there's going to be some some criticism from various segments. But right now, everything is glowing. Everything is bright and beautiful and flowery and whatever other adjectives you can throw in there. Um, but you along the FSU route, you know, like Taggart did, Mac has won the the offseason, done it better than anybody else. Uh, and so I think you know, at at this point in time, there's nothing he could have done better. Now we get to see how things play out when they actually truly matter on the football field. But when I think of the FSU situation last year, and to be honest, when you were talking, I was going to follow up with that. So great minds think alike, I suppose. But one thing about Mac Brown and the Carolina feeling, a, a sense, is that, yes, the, you can win the offseason and be bad in the season, but Carolina fans, the Carolina program, everybody that follows it um, knows that Mac's done it before at Carolina. The same type situation. Come in, uh, program's not in good shape. We can debate the levels um, of the cupboard being full or bare uh, when Mac got here on, in either place, but I think that sense, at least for people I talk to, um, they believe that, hey, we know he's done it before. We have these high expectations. I'm not sure, like Greg said, the expectations are are, are fair from a lot of people. Um, And I'm sure there'll be criticism if those ones aren't met. But, But the fact that he's done it, been there, done that, at Carolina, and now we see the Mac is back t-shirt, that that lends a lot of this excitement, don't you think? Absolutely. And uh, if you haven't gotten your Magus Back t-shirt, you can get it at Johnny T-shirt, which Tommy Ashley will get into in a little bit. But here's the other thing that I think is true, and I'd like to get Greg's opinion on this as well. But I, I would think that Mac Brown, being Mac Brown, uh, particularly with a segment of the fan base that was around during Mac 1.0, he's going to have a little bit longer runway uh, than any other coach they could brought in Um, because Mac Brown knows how to sell what he's doing. And let's say they go five and seven next year or even four and eight, which is not out of the question. He's going to be able to sell that uh, in a way nobody else would have been able to do. If they'd have brought in Scott's uh, Satterfield um, and he went uh, four and eight next year, there would be a ton of uh, you know, second guessing, uh, recriminations. What are we doing? You know, why would it, would, did we do this? Or any other coach he could have brought in. Neil Brown, some other guys that could have uh, come to UNC. But for a segment of the fan base, I'm not saying for everybody because not everybody was around during Mac uh, 1.0. But, Tommy, you and I were, um, and and Greg was around for that as well, or at least part of it. And, um, you know, he's going to be able to tell people that, okay, we went 4-8 and in 2019. 
but it's going to get better. We're bringing in the right people. We've got the right scheme. Uh, and my favorite line from his uh, Sunday morning uh, TV shows saying, um, you know, look at the guys flying around. They're flying around the football. I love to see that. And the energy that he's going to bring to a four and eight season isn't going to be much different than what he's going to bring to an eight and four season. It's going to still be the same level of energy. So I, I think he's going to get um, a much longer runway than any other coach that North Carolina could have brought in. And I'm interested to see what Greg thinks about that. Certainly. And I think kind of a, kind of a good story to, to share with that is that when I talked to Tommy Thigpen last year, so before, you know, when Fedora was still here, uh, we got into talking about his recruitment. And one of the things that uh, impressed him so much about Mac and about UNC and really helped him become such a great recruiter is how his official visit was handled. You know, remember he, he came to North Carolina, I believe his first year was 89. So that was after the first one in 10 year, but yet he shows up, he's got to wear, you know, he's got to wear a shirt and tie. And that's, that's a requirement with Mac. He's got to hit all these requirements on this official visit as if, all right, we know you're a stud recruit, uh, but if you're going to possibly come here, you've got to dress this way. You've got to act this way. You've got to behave in this manner. That's what we're going to demand even while we recruit you. So you're trying out for us as much as we're trying to impress you. And that really stayed with Tommy. And again, this is after Carolina's coming off a of one and 10. This is when Mac Brown is basically a nobody. And so fast forward, I mean, almost 30 years now. And we're at a situation where Mac's somewhat in the same situation coming off a couple of bad seasons, even though this is going to be his first one, but yet he can say, look guys, I've been here. I've done it before. Like Tommy said, I've won a national championship at Texas, played another national championship game. Um, and so if you look at how Tommy Thigpen's situation was handled, now you're adding all that success kind of to the same type of you know approach. Uh, and so you can only imagine if Tommy Thigpen was so impressed back then, what that type of player would be like now and saying, okay, well, okay, we've got to do all these things. And he's, he's very optimistic and he's certain about how things are going to play out. And we know he's had a ton of success. He's done it here before because North Carolina's had trouble winning a lot of big games in the past, but yet when they did, guess who was here? It was Mac. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really will pay dividends uh, with recruiting for sure, but also with, with the fan base and with boosters. And I think the other element, we've talked about this you know, back in December, November, I haven't touched on it much lately, but I was in school during Max glory years in Chapel Hill. I remember what that was like. And I think you guys are kind of good examples because you're in your peak fandom pretty much. You're in your, your thirties and forties and your late twenties during those glory years. And so the opportunity to kind of relive that, uh, I think is, is fun for, for most people that were your know, big North Carolina supporters and fans back in the late nineties. And so now 
you get to kind of relive that a little bit. And you say, okay, you know what? He provided a lot of fun for me. I'm going to give him a little bit more rope because I understand that this is not as easy as maybe we thought. Because a lot of people thought, hey, you know what? Matt got his built built up. Torbush is going to step in. He's going to you know, keep things running. It's not going to be an issue. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have an elite-level coach to win a lot of games at the Division One level. Uh, and Mac has done that. He's proven that. And so, yeah, I certainly agree that he'll have he'll have a lot more uh, runway, as you say, uh, over the next couple of years. You know, it's interesting. I was a freshman at Carolina in 89, and they've coming off that the 88-1-10 season. I think they beat VMI, maybe one of those. That was the only game or something. They certainly didn't beat anybody else of note. Um, but people still believed. Uh, I mean, I, I felt like that. Uh, being there, people believe that Carolina was going to be good. And I'll tell you, uh, before we go to, before I talk about Johnny T-shirt, but I'll tell you the, the moment that folks got it uh, was that Georgia Tech game, uh, I believe in 90, if my memory serves correctly, where they tied Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech goes on to share the national championship. Wouldn't have shared it had they not tied in Chapel Hill. That was, I think that's the moment uh, that, folks really got it and i want to talk about that a little bit after this but first let me talk about johnny t-shirt a little bit johnny t-shirt.com is the great sponsor of this podcast and, and buck mentioned them just a few minutes ago with the mac is back t-shirt they certainly got that they've got plenty of carolina gear especially for the football season coming up but any kind of gear you ever need uh, carolina related you can get it from johnny t-shirt either johnny t-shirt.com or johnny t-shirt on franklin street is always a place to stop by on Franklin Street when you're in town, and certainly you can get that fix online. Alumni, so they know what Carolina fans won't need, uh, great people to deal with, great customer service, just a fantastic business, and a staple on Franklin Street and a staple for Inside Carolina as well. You need to check them out. And if you're a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off, whether it's in-store or online. So give them a call or look them up on the internet, or go visit them and get that 10% and get what you need for your Carolina fix for football season that's coming up right around the corner. But looking into this season, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, we've talked about the hype, we've talked about the hope, and how Matt can sell hope. Butch Davis, I believe, went 4-8 and eight his first season. That really didn't stop the, the train there um, for Butch moving things forward. Max Bellwether game, like I said, I thought was that Georgia Tech tie in Keenan Stadium. Well, Carolina doesn't have any build up, doesn't have it or, or, or run up to a big game this season. I mean, South Carolina, the first game of the season. And that you know, it's exciting for the fan base. It is a, a big game, to say the least. Your thoughts on now that we're here, now that you've got to start playing. How do you think um, it'll be handled? How will Mac handle things? And how will the build-up translate onto the field, at least in general? Because we can talk more about lineups and starters and all that, and we will. But, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done on this Carolina roster. What will Mac do to have them ready when they go to Charlotte on Labor Day weekend? Well, um, you know, I, at, the, at the risk of sounding like a uh... – you know, a Pollyanna, you know, uh, that, you know, it, 
all his uh, geese are blue swans. Um, you know, in terms of um, talent, if we're just looking at talent, if you look at the recruiting classes that have been brought in over the last four years, they're all the, um, uh, you know, like right around 28, 29, 30. And, and I would say that, and I think this is objectively true, that if you look at the recruiting classes over the last four years, North Carolina has probably top 30 talent on this roster. Now, the challenge is for Mac Brown and his staff is to translate that top 30 talent that they have in Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, excuse me, um, into wins. And if you've got top 30 talent, you should win some ball games, right? You're not everybody you're going to face during the course of a season is going to have that same level of talent. But the, it's a new offensive system. It's a new defensive system. Um, there are, you know, there's adjustments, you know, for everybody to make um, on both sides of the ball. They've got some special teams issues they got to iron out. Um, you know, in terms of the nuts and bolts of it, there, there's definitely some you know, strong points and some weaknesses. But if you look at the, the talent level overall, and you look at the, the losses that they had last year. Uh, I wrote about it in my column uh, yesterday that, uh, you know, they really only got blown out once all of last season. The rest of the games were relatively close. A couple of 10-point losses, four losses, less than a touchdown. A couple of them went to overtime. Uh, so it's not the same thing as uh, inheriting a team uh, similar to what Butch Davis inherited, for example, from John Bunning, which was uh, not competitive in a lot of games. Uh, you know, they, they won a game here or there, um, but uh, there are a lot of games they were just not competitive in. And, you know, I think, you know, once you look at that, you know, where you want to go when you're building a program is, is to go from, um, if you, if you inherited a program that's not been competitive in a lot of games, you want to be competitive. Uh, that's your next challenge is to get competitive. Even if you lose and go four and eight, um, you know, that's one thing, but if you're not competitive in those games, that's another. So, you know, I, I think those are the things we'll be looking at, uh, you know, in this coming year, I think I'm going to have my. Uh, expectations tempered uh, for this coming year. If they get to a bowl game, I would consider that a major achievement. And I, I'm interested in, in hearing what Greg uh, has to say about those thoughts. Well, not to not to look in the rearview mirror too much, um, but we know that Larry Fedora did a pretty good job, at least his first five years. Right. I mean, we, we know that uh, eight and four in 2012, they should have played in the ACC championship game had they been eligible. Uh, then you go to bowl games the next four, play in the ACC championship game in 15. As I mentioned earlier, really should have, 
know, that they beat Duke after you're up 14 zip, you're playing in the ACC championship game pretty much two years in a row. Um, and when you factor in all the injuries the last two years, you know, when you talk about what this team did last year, given that the injuries were maybe not quite as severe as 17, but pretty close. Um, you, are we at a point where we can look back and say, you know what? Larry Fedora was a pretty good football coach and that you know, they did a good job as a staff kind of keeping these guys together, even though things were falling apart and keeping them competitive. I think there's an assumption um, that you know, Matt Brown comes in with his brand new staff and automatically the coaching is going to be 10 times better than what Larry Fedora did. And I think you have to be careful with that. Uh, I think you know, with the injuries really skew things. I think the suspensions hurt things. Um, you know, a lot of things kind of went into Larry Fedora's free fall, but I, I don't know that I would ever say that he was a bad coach. Um, I think he was a good coach. He wasn't a great coach, but I'd be curious to just for both of you guys, what's your perspective on that? Who Buck, I'll let you go first. I mean, I, I know that that's going, that this topic will stir up our, our listeners, especially the message board posters, but I, you know, I, I think that there were a lot of things that were done and done well. Um, I think that the skill positions especially and in the offense in general were um, certainly recruited well. I don't think that, um, but for the quarterback issues, and <clears throat> we can debate why that happened, but there's no point at this point. But I think Fedora was always going to produce an offense that was good, but I, I think that football – I think defenses, even in these high scoring games, I think defenses are ultimately what make the difference, but you may tell me otherwise, but I just think Fedora was lacking there. And I also think when it started going sideways, and this is where he's different from Mac and Buck has already mentioned it, is that um, he didn't really know how to handle the fan base. And I'm not sure he really gave a rip about handling the fan base. Um, maybe that's unfair, but there was just a lot going on there. Bad coaches? I don't necessarily think so. I think there was some bad assistance a time or two um, and certainly some bad decisions. But I think for the most part, um, at this level, folks know how to coach the game of football. I mean, I think you need a lot of luck. And I'm not sure Carolina had any the last two years. But, but anyway, let me get a commercial break first, and then I'll come to you because I want to get your take on all the rambling I've done and some of Greg's point as well. We'll be right back after the short break. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. 
The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Buck, anyway, you're more of a old wise man on that topic. You go ahead and, and tell me why I'm crazy because I... I think it could have been a lot better. I'm not sure it could have been worse, but I'm not sure there's one specific person to blame. Well, uh, what I'm going to say is uh, for all our message board people, direct all your hate at Greg Barnes uh, for saying it. Larry Fedora was not a terrible coach. Uh, uh, Because, uh, you know, the, the, the consensus opinion, particularly at, uh, tail end of his uh, tenure, um, I, you know, I think there's a couple of things about that that uh, Greg and I could say uh, because we were kind of privy to it. But he was stubborn about some staff decisions. Yep. Um, you know, even in the face of pressure to make changes, um, he re- kind of uh, stubbornly resisted that. And, um, you know, again, I think it's probably, um, clear to everybody that, um, the, uh, his focus as a football coach, his background tendencies his the love of his life was offensive football. And so he more or less, uh, delegated the defensive side of it. Uh, and you know, had to trust his people to, uh, deal with the defensive side of it. Um, and you know, I, I think that worked to his disadvantage a little bit at times. Um, you know, I think, uh, bringing in Chiswick, uh, was a, uh, you know, a great move. Um, he really, uh, helped the team, I believe, particularly in, well, actually both years, I think he did well with the defense considering the talent level on that side of the football. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people had difficulties uh, dealing with Larry at at some level, uh, particularly in the media. He wasn't very media friendly, uh, for example. And uh, so, you know, I think that worked against him because, you know, every time you have a coach, and they may revel in it in the moment, like, um, you know, Paul Johnson did at times at Georgia Tech when they would win a, you know, a, a ACC title when they were picked like fourth or fifth in the division. You know, he would revel uh, in uh, pushing the media's nose in it. And that's fine if you're winning. But if if you have a down year or two and you haven't had good relationships with the media, uh, your life is going to be harder. And, you know, I, I just think that it was a big dramatic change going from Butch Davis to Larry Fedora because they were totally opposite. You know, Butch Davis was all about the defense. He came from the defensive side of the ball. It was all about being conservative on offense, not making mistakes, uh, you know, being very, uh, you know, uh, cautious on defense, making sure that you don't give up stuff. Um, and, you know, 
he he went like eight and four every year after his first one. So, um, you know, that worked for him to an extent. And in 2010, they might have done, uh, you know, as the old country expression goes, done wonders and eat cucumbers, uh, had everybody been eligible. But um, so it was a big, dramatic change from Butch Davis to Larry Fedora. And given all the other changes that the North Carolina fan base had gone through in that short span of time, I'm probably getting much more profound than I need to be here. But I think it was a real dramatic difference um, in, you know, the uh, emphasis on defense versus offense. And and then you throw in some games where North Carolina gets beat by East Carolina 70 to whatever, and nobody's going to like that. So losing to your rivals, nobody's going to like that. And Greg can take all the heat for that. Uh <laughs> I, you know, I'm shifting the blame to Greg for all of that, but, uh, you got to beat your rivals. If you're North Carolina, you got to beat Duke, you got to, you know, beat state, uh, you know, at least, you know, uh, semi-regularly. Uh, so, you know, those things I think left a sour taste in the fan base's mouth and, but, you know, we're, we're talking about past now. And that's the one thing that Mac Brown wouldn't want us to be talking about. Yeah, and the point of that was kind of as you've talked about, Buck, when you look at last year's results, yes, you have the horrible loss at ECU, which I think sealed Larry's fate, and then the embarrassment at Miami. But there, you know, for the most part, all the other games were you know, a touchdown or 10 points. And so if you do think that Larry was not a good coach whatsoever and that Max a very good coach, well, I mean, that kind of sets the foundation of, okay, well, then this certainly should be a team that should be pushing for eight wins. Uh, and so I, I think that's that dynamic is what fascinates me. Uh, I'm curious to see because obviously we, we've <laughs> lived through all the bad losses to State and the embarrassments to ECU and all these different components. As you say, we've covered that. It's in the past. It's done. Um, but I, I do think that that component of, Okay, how do we cl- classify this jump? I mean, are we talking like a significant step up immediately? Or is this going to be a little bit of a gradual shift? Because, I mean, I just go back to Roy Williams real quick. When, when Matt Doherty left, everybody thought that program was in the midst of being a dumpster fire. And Roy Williams' record his first year after Matt left was pretty much the same. And what did, what did Roy say? Well, Matt's not a bad coach. You know, right? I mean, you, you can't work magic. It's, it takes some time to bring players in and to get people to buy into your system and all these kinds of things. So I, I just think that's a, a very fascinating dynamic. And uh, if, I, if I deserve axes and uh, arrows thrown at me or shot at me, uh, feel free. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying that, uh, that you're wrong. But what what I'm saying is that, and and you're specifically right on this point, I think, that, uh, and we've seen this time and time again, not just at UNC, but like nationwide. Um, It's very rare for a coaching change to happen, no matter who it is. And 
they completely reversed the field in one year. Uh, you, you look at uh, Chip Kelly at UCLA. No question, that's an experienced, smart, savvy head coach. And he, he goes to UCLA, and his record is really not much better than it was the year before. And and we see it in other uh, situations like that, where coaches come in their first year. He might be a great head coach, and they ultimately might have a lot of success at that school. But they don't turn things around on a dime. And Mac didn't turn things around on a dime when he came to UNC the first time. So I, I, I'll, I totally agree with the idea that in your second year, when the entire team has had the opportunity to you know, go through a year of coaching with their offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator to get adjusted to the system, you're probably going to see more results, you know, down the road than you are immediately. So I don't think, I don't expect Mac to go two and nine next year. Um, I, I expect the record to be better than that, but I'm not expecting eight and four or maybe even seven and five. But, um, you know, I, I do think that the more time a staff has with a team to uh, instill their values, instill what they want from you, to instill uh, just the plays and how to handle it and all of that, um, the better off you are. So um, that's where I'd go. I don't disagree with any of that. I do think Greg's um, basketball Roy Williams, Matt Darty reference is a great one. Um, and I think that folks need to realize that, like I said earlier, and like we've talked about, that Butch went four and eight his first year as well. Um, I've said on this podcast, and we're going to talk about it more in depth here, is I, if they make a bowl, if they go to a bowl, whatever it is, and I can't keep up with all of them, but if they go six and six and get to a bowl, then expectations for the following year, 2021, or excuse me, 20 will be skyrocketed, I think. And you bring in the recruiting issue, the recruiting factor and all that, then I think it's it's on at that point. And then it's all about that. But I think, and Greg, let's talk about this a little bit. I, I think that, A, Larry Fedora would still be here if the quarterback situation was managed better. But does one player or one position, does he make – whoever it is, to make as big a deal and as big an impact as some Carolina fans are, are thinking or expecting. If Sam Howell starts or if Jace Ruder starts, Cave Jordan starts, they have a great season. Are the seven or eight wins expectations then justified? Or, or you know, all things considered. I, I mean, I think that position, had that not happened, Larry Fedora would still be here. I don't want to keep talking about Larry Fedora, but will they make that big a difference for a Mac Brown-led Tar Heel team? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that if if Larry Fedora had a, yeah, it doesn't have to be a Mitch Trubisky. If he has like a Bryn Renner, then he'd still be the head coach at North Carolina. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and how significant is the quarterback position when we're talking about college football? It is the end all be all. Uh, Larry Fedora acknowledged that 
He's, he's said that several times. You know, why does Mac Brown have a national championship? He had a generational talent in Vince Young. Um, I mean, we've seen what you know, Baker Mayfield and, and Kyler Murray have done. Uh, when I sat down with Tommy Thigpen last year, we were talking about the 2010 team when he was at Auburn. And he said, look, North Carolina's 2010 team had more talent than, than Auburn did. And something we've talked about. But who do they have at quarterback? At Cam Newton. And so there's there's no question that if you have a very good quarterback, uh, that's worth a number of wins. The challenge for, for this group of quarterbacks is that they're all young and that the first half of UNC schedule is tough. But if they come out of the gate against South Carolina and whoever it may be, you know, if it's Howe or Fortin or Reuter, and they are lights out and they are elite and they, they win that game, uh, yeah, expectations are going to change. We can't base our preseason expectations on the possibility that one of these kids is an absolute stud from day one in a brand new system. And so for sure, and to your, your initial point, Tommy, about next year, you know, let's say even if, let's say Reuter, whoever, Reuter starts, let's just say that. And he shows over the course of the season that he is getting significantly better where they're competitive in every single game. They're winning games late. They're able to get to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, expectations are going to be through the roof for 2020. And rightly so, because you're you're swimming upstream right now. Yes, you have recruiting helping you, but that's not really helping you right now. I mean, you may have a few kids that can step in and be beneficial. That's kind of more in the future. Right now, you've got a tough first six games. You're learning a brand new system on both sides of the ball. You have new coaches, and you're having to rely on a freshman quarterback. Not maybe you are reliant on a freshman quarterback. We just don't know who it is yet. Uh, and so, so that's a lot of things that have to go exactly right for North Carolina to get off to a good start, and that's what would be needed for this team to really exceed expectations. Buck, I'm going to bring you in here um, and, and get your thoughts there. I mean, Greg's point's a great one. It is going to be a freshman quarterback one way or another. It's going to be one of those three guys. And then on top of that, there's going to be some youth on that offensive line as well. Um, but like we've said, South Carolina holds the key to the expectations. I don't think we can base any expectations until we see that South Carolina game. But your thoughts on the quarterback position, that importance, and, and all of that. I, I'm not going to put as much weight on the South Carolina game as you seem to be putting on it. But as I'm a just topic, saying for expectations. Yeah, yeah, I, and I get that. If but I think there's uh, levels there. If if South Carolina blows North Carolina out in that first game and it's ugly and North Carolina looks terrible um, offensively and defensively, that's one thing. But there's gradations beyond that. If it's a, a highly contested game, um, you know, I'm I'm not setting anybody up to you know claim moral victory. What I'm saying is that. I'm not going to put as much weight on the South Carolina game as maybe some other people might. 
Uh, I think it's an important game. It'd be if they win that game, then expectations are going to be off the charts. But uh, I'm not putting as much weight on that game, win or lose, as maybe some other people. But to Greg's point, I, I do think that you know in college football, either you need and you know to be to play at a high level. To play at a high level, you either need a quarterback uh, that plays at an elite level or you need a defense that is really stout. And the way to win championships, whether it's a coastal division or you know whatever you want to talk about you know the college football playoff, you kind of need both. Um, but North Carolina's problem was is that in my opinion, uh, the defensive side of the ball was kind of an afterthought in the Larry Fedora era. And again, we're talking about Larry Fedora, which we don't want to be talking about, but we're doing it anyway. Um, the defense was more or less an afterthought in the Larry Fedora era. So when he got to a season where he did not have superior quarterback play, that alone, leave out injuries, leave out uh, suspensions, leave out whatever you want to, uh, schedule, whatever. If Once you get to that point where you, you're not getting superlative quarterback play on a team where defense is not as emphasized as it is in other places, then you're going to see a dramatic drop off. Maybe not a two and nine drop off, not maybe a three and nine drop off, but you're going to see a massive drop off when you go from having a Marquise Williams to having a Mitch Trubisky to not having either one of those guys, and your defense can't bail you out. Then, then that's the recipe for disaster. And and I think encouragingly let's talk about the Mac Brown era a little bit. We're going to see a head coach that's going to equally emphasize both sides of the ball. And there's going to be some games. I almost promise you that there's going to be some games this year where Mac Brown is going to be relying on his defense uh, to win the game, or at least get them to the, fourth quarter where they can win the game. And there's going to be occasions where he's going to be depending on the offense, but it's not going to be like the Larry Fedora era in the sense that the way we're going to win this game is we're going to score a ton of points and the other team is not going to match that. They're not going to be able to match that no matter how bad our defense is. Uh, it, that's going to be different. And, and you're going to hear that. Uh, probably next week at the uh, ACC football kickoff, you're going to you know hear that uh, throughout the season. Uh, there is going to be more of an equal emphasis on the value of both sides of the ball than what we've seen in the past uh, during the Fedora era. All right, Greg, let's start wrapping this one up. Let me ask you guys a couple of general questions going into. 
Um, ACC kickoff going into preseason camp starts August 1st and gets rolling. Um, Greg, your season prediction or your – give me a, a – I don't want to put you on the spot that much, but I will. Your thoughts on how Carolina's season ends up prior to any camp information, prior to any – preseason games prior to South Carolina. We're at June 10th, 11th, 12th here, July 10th, 11th, or 12th. Your realistic thought on where Carolina ends up in this season, in Matt Brown's first season back at Carolina. Yeah, I think this is a is a bowl team. and I think this is, as we talked about, I mean, last year, as bad as it was, there's a ton of injuries. Uh, they were competitive. You know, they had a, a very poor quarterback situation. Um, and I think by the end of the year, the guys were kind of beat down a little bit. And I think going into that year, I thought that would be a you know, probably a six and six team before suspensions and injuries. And so I think I do think that the talent is there. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think this is a, a tough start. I mean, when you look at South Carolina, Miami, at Wake, App State, Clemson, at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech. I know Georgia Tech's most likely going to have a tough transition year. That's just a tough start of games when you factor in a, a freshman quarterback, brand new schemes. I mean, I, I think it's kind of been overlooked that you know Phil Longo. This is his third season at the Power Five level. Jay Bateman, this is his first season at the Power Five level. That matters. I mean, it, it helps that you've got Mac Brown as your CEO, um, but there's there's going to be a learning curve there. And so while I do expect this team to kind of reel off some wins late and be able to get to a bowl game, um, I, I think it could be a little bit humbling early. Uh, but again, we're not looking at this as this has got to be Max. This has got to be a situation where, where Mac has a great first year. I think that's in the years to come. I think this year's gravy. I mean, I think if you can get to a bowl game, I totally agree with you, Tommy. You get to six and six, the sky's the limit uh, you know, in 2020 and 21. Now, 2020, you're talking more eight, nine wins maybe if things go to plan. But then after that, after you get a couple really good recruiting classes in, then you can really start talking about, okay, you know, can this program get back to 10 wins? Can it get to a situation where it's competitive with maybe a Clemson once again in the ACC championship game. Um, so I, I do think it's a, a potential bowl team. I've got I've had them pegged at six and six from a long time ago. And I'll stick with that. And I think that would be a very good year for this program. Buck, you're up. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You and, and you know, from talking to people, talking to big time supporters of Carolina football, talking to everybody, your thoughts on just where it ends up, uh, I mean, I think I think I'm leaning to agreeing with Greg, unless you tell me something otherwise. Well, um, in in the world of uh, college football uh, projections and predictions, if we're if we're looking at um, you know, objective data, um, if uh, I were to predict a six and six season. Uh, I would be the most optimistic person on the planet. Um, 
if if you look at, for example, uh, Bill Connolly, and I'm a big fan of Bill Connolly. Greg, I think, is a fan as well. But if if you look at his projected margins for next year's schedule, North Carolina's predict only predicted to win three games. Um, Georgia Tech, they're favored by four point one. Duke, they're favored by 2.8, and Mercer, 27.3. But they're only predicted by a projected margin by Bill Connolly to win three football games next year. If they win six, that probably means they beat Wake Forest, which is favored by 2.4. They beat Duke, which is favored by 2.8. And, uh, or, no, I'm sorry, they beat Virginia, which is favored by 2.2. And they beat Pittsburgh, which is favored by 3.1. So they have got to win almost every game that they play where they're an underdog by three points or less. So six and six, actually, here's an opportunity for the message board people to ream me and not take the heat off of Greg a little bit. Uh, if you're predicting six and six for UNC, then you are a highly optimistic person, and they may well get to six and six. I think they probably will, but to make that prediction off the data, you look at the ESPN FBI, Bill Connolly's uh, data. Uh, six and six is a very optimistic prediction for UNC in 2019. Uh, and so if they get to six and six, yes, then most definitely expectations will be huge in 2020 because six and six realistically is on the extreme high end of probabilities for 2019. So we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, for folks that just, you know, sort of assume or think that, well, they should easily get to a bowl they're not looking at the same numbers I'm looking at. Well, uh, let me respond to that just, just quickly, Tommy. Uh, Buck knows I'm a, as big of a advanced metrics guy as he is. But one thing that database right now that we're looking at doesn't take into account is the injuries. In North Carolina's game against Duke last year, once Antonio Williams left the field in the first quarter, UNC was without 18 scholarship players, uh, including, I think, what, three quarterbacks maybe at that point in time. Crawford, of course, was out for the year. Uh, J.J. McCargo was out starting center. K.J. Sells was out. Uh, so there's a lot of injuries. And one thing people, again, I think kind of overlooked from last year is that in 2017, while it wasn't a strict guideline, the ACC still had their injury policy. And Larry Fedora, while he didn't have to do it, he abided by it a little bit. And so we could actually get numbers of, okay, this guy is not available today. And that's how we were able to kind of tabulate how many guys were out. It was, I think, 200 and I don't know the number. I think 232 maybe games missed due to injury. Not starts, but games missed. Well, the ACC did away with that before the 2018 season. And so we didn't have anything to base injury information off of. And we kind of made the decision, you know what? We're going to follow it as close as we, as we can. We're going to report injuries when we can. Uh, 
but we're not going to have the hard data that we were able to have in 2017. So there's a reason Mac Brown really talked about, we're trying to figure out why there were so many injuries the last two years. Uh, he talked about that in the spring. And so I, I do think that plays a role. And that's one of the reasons you're going into last year. I did think that was a six and 16 before the suspensions, before the injuries. Um, and so I, I don't think the, the metrics really show that quite, quite yet. And they shouldn't, I mean, that, that's hard to factor in. Um, but I, that's, that's one of the primary reasons I have them as six and six. Yes, I am optimistic. This is kind of my nature. Uh, and we know with projections that has not played out well in the past. Uh, but that is why I think this team will be better than what a lot of the metrics will show before the season starts. Great stuff. Like I said, I, I agree. I think six and six, I think, and, and Buck, unlike you explained better than I can, I just think South Carolina game's huge uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think – You always think the first game of the year. Is good, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm usually he does. Right, he right? says that every year. Because in every 2015, year. right, South Carolina game was tremendous. Or it Georgia. Was... <laughs> That's right, Georgia. Yeah, the Georgia game means more than anything in the world. You know that California. California, California, yeah. Well, I, I'm guilty of that too. Well, I know when probably I saw that California as, game, probably I was not like, as uh -oh. guilty as Tommy, but I'm still guilty of that kind of thinking. But I'm not going to put a huge amount of weight on that South Carolina game this year. It, I, you know, it would be awesome if they win it, but uh, I don't think if they win, I don't think that necessarily means oh, they're going to be an eight- or nine-win team. And if they lose, I don't think that means they're going to be a two- or three-win team. So, uh, you know, that's where I'm at. Well, y'all will not stop me from believing that South Carolina game's huge. For we know that. Wins and losses. We know that. I could, I could go down the list of why it's huge. Yeah, I um, know. We know. <laughs> but I, I'll admit, when I saw the California game, uh, that was an uh-oh game after watching that one but at any rate it's been fun to get the band back together a little bit we'll do it plenty more um, over these next weeks to come carolina football's here greg will be in charlotte covering acc kickoff and then the uh, pigskin classic to get you some content next week i'll be it on the outer bank so if anybody's near hatteras or frisco come say hello i'll be somewhere sometime down there uh, but been a pleasure talking to you, Greg. Appreciate it. Y'all have been listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. That's Johnny T-shirt as our sponsor. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.